Hello, how are you guys? Hey, thanks for not like booing when I came out this time. That was a, a welcome change of pace. Now, don't do it now. It's too late. You already loved me. Um, did you guys have a good day today? Yeah? yeah? Uh, who played broom hockey? Me. Counselors, who played broom hockey? That was fun. You guys, that was that was highlight of my day playing broom hockey with you guys. So much fun. Um, I was on the staff team. Who won? I, I forgot. Uh, what? Oh, oh, you're right. It was the staff. It's all right. I, uh, I embarrassed myself enough. So it's... <laughs> okay, fair. I deserved it. It's fine. I earned that. Um, all right. Hey, well, I've got a really important question for you guys today. Um, and uh, I want to see if you guys can answer it for me. Here it is. You ready? What is the best Star Wars movie? It's the best Star Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind, there are no wrong answers, okay? No, I'm kidding. There are actually eight wrong answers, ten wrong answers if you count the other movies. Um, no, the best, and I know, I know what a lot of you are saying. I know what a lot of you are saying. You're saying Empire Strikes Back because you want to be a cool kid. But let's be honest, as much as I love Muppet Yoda, the best Star Wars movie, the best Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. It's the best one. It's the best one. And Return of the Jedi is the best one because Return of the Jedi is the climax of the story, right? In any good story, you have kind of this inciting action, this rising action, it climaxes, and then you have the, what's called the falling action, all the, the stuff at the end there. And um, Return of the Jedi is the climax of Star Wars. It's in Return of the Jedi that you see Luke become a real Jedi for the first time. When he walks into Jabba's palace and he's got the, the black robe, and you see the green lightsaber. Guys, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that until you see Luke walk in with the black robe and the green lightsaber and something else that I won't talk about. Um, all right, so, so Luke walks in. He's a real Jedi for the first time. It's, it's in Return of the Jedi that we have Darth Vader finally turning to the light side, defeating the Emperor once and for all, except for they decided that that's not what happened, but that's all revisionist, right? So it's, it's in Return of the Jedi that all of these things come to a head, that we see the climax of the story. And what we're talking about in the story of Jonah that we've been going through this weekend together, today we're gonna to be talking about the climax of that story, the most important point of the story where all the things we've been talking about come together into this incredible moment. Now, when most of us think of the story of Jonah, what do we think of? The big fish. But the big fish is not the climax of the story. The big fish isn't the point of Jonah. The point of Jonah is what happens after the big fish, all right? And so that's where we are today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to see the climax of the story, the, the Luke facing off with the emperor part of the story, right? The climax of the story of Jonah. And here it is. It's Jonah finally delivering the message that God gave him in the very first verses of this book, right? The very first verses, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
saying, go to Nineveh. Here we are. We finally get to see Jonah going to Nineveh. All right, verse three, or chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, the, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So here it is, finally, Jonah has made his way to Nineveh. Jojo is in the backyard and he is going to give this message that God has sent to Nineveh. Now remember, remember last night, it was last night, we were talking about this last night. You guys have only been here for like a day. It's been a long day. But last night, remember, we talked about who the Ninevites were. We don't know a ton about Nineveh, but we do know that it's a major city in the Assyrian Empire. And what we know about the Assyrian Empire is that they were brutal, they were vicious, they were violent. And here Jonah is in Nineveh going around and shouting, hey, Nineveh, change everything about how you live or you're gonna be destroyed. Now, how do you think these brutal, vicious, violent people are going to respond to Jonah's message, to God's message spoken through Jonah? Well, you guys know the story. You saw it up here, so you know how they respond. But if you didn't, you'd probably think Jonah's in trouble, right? But let's see, let's look at the response of the Ninevites to this message. Starting in verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. See, I didn't say they believed Jonah, I said they believed God, I think that's important. The people of Nineveh believed God, and so they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, calling for a fast, putting it on sackcloth, these aren't things that we really do anymore, but what this is, is this is them showing that they regret what they've done. This is them mourning. We, we live in a culture, we don't really have like mourning traditions. Not mourning like you wake up in the morning, but mourning like you're sad, M-O-U-R-N, right? So we don't really have mourning traditions besides like, I don't know, eating a pint of ice cream and crying. Maybe that's like the morning tradition in our, in our culture. But, but we don't have those in the same way that Nineveh has them, right? That they had them then. So here they are. They, they have repented. They are, they are now mourning, putting on sackcloth, and they're fasting. That's the people of Nineveh. It continues to the king of Nineveh in verse six. The word of the Lord then reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself in sackcloth. He sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. 
So here, this king of these wicked people is, and what does he do? He hears this message that he and his people have sinned, that their hearts are against the heart of God, and that God is going to deliver justice and judgment, that he is going to destroy Nineveh. And how does he respond? He responds by weeping, by mourning, by showing remorse and regret for the things that he's done, and by commanding his people to turn from their ways. So I think there are two words that that describe how the Ninevites respond to this message of God delivered by Jonah. The first is that they believed. They believed, verse five, I pointed it out to you, the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. They believed his message and they believed who he was. They believed what he said and they believed his authority. They, they believed that what he said was true, that if they did not turn, if they did not repent, they would be destroyed, and they believed that he was someone who had the power to do what he had said, right? They believed God. So they believed, but they didn't just stop there. They didn't just go, oh, so if we keep on doing what we're doing, then God's going to destroy us? I really believe that, and then continue on doing what they were doing. No, they believed, and then the next thing they did is they repented. They repented. Now, repent is kind of a churchy word. Maybe it's a word that we don't use a lot, that we don't know what it means. But repent is a word that means to change directions. It means to turn around, right? And so when I say that they repented, what I mean is that the Ninevites changed the directions of their lives, They changed the way that they were living. They didn't just say, yes, I believe what Jonah's saying. I believe what God has communicated through Jonah. I believe that Jonah's God is the real God of the universe, and then go on living their lives. They said, yes, I believe that, and then they change. They turn around. Look at verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God, and let everyone turn, repent from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. So the Ninevites hear this message, and instead of trying to to kill Jonah, like we might have thought they would, they believe God, and they repent. They turn from their wickedness. They turn from their violence. They believe and they repent, and then what does God do? God shows them mercy. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned, repented from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. They believed, they repented, they turned from their wickedness, and so God showed them mercy. Now here's the thing. The Ninevites didn't deserve God's mercy. Jonah was right in that, right? The Ninevites didn't deserve mercy because just by turning from their wickedness, it didn't didn't erase the fact that they had done those wicked and evil things. 
They didn't earn God's mercy, but God gave it to them anyway because he saw that they believed him and that they repented and that they had turned, and so he showed them his mercy, a mercy that they did not earn, that they did not deserve. Because that's who God is. See, I told you guys yesterday that this story is not primarily a story about Jonah. It's not primarily a story about the Ninevites. This story is primarily a story about God. It's a story about God and how God interacts with the people that he made. It's a story about God and how he interacts with his people. Which means, yes, it's a story about Jonah, a story about Jonah and how God interacts with him. And yes, it's a story about the Ninevites, a story about the Ninevites who God made and how God interacts with them. But this story is also a story about you and me. People that God made. It's a story about how God interacts with us. Now that might sound crazy because this story was written thousands of years before you were born or I was born. But I know that this story isn't just about something that happened in the past, but it's about something that happens now and it's about how God interacts with his people now and the reason I know that is because someone else said it. I'm not making it up. I'm not making up that this story is about God and how he interacts with his people. Because there's someone else who takes this story about God saving the Ninevites from the punishment that they deserve, someone else who takes this story and applies it to right here and right now. We see that happening in the book of Matthew chapter 12. So if you want to turn over to Matthew in your New Testament, towards the beginning of your New Testament, the very beginning of your New Testament, but we're going to be in chapter 12. I'm going to read starting in verse 38. Listen to this. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Who are they talking to? Who's the teacher that the scribes and the Pharisees are addressing here? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They say, Jesus, Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a miracle that all these things you're saying, that you're from God, that you're the son of God, that you're God in the flesh. We want to see something that proves it to us. And listen to what Jesus says. It says, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus, that's right. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights in the tomb. Three days, three nights in the grave. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For behold, something greater than Jonah is here. All right. So here's what he's saying. He's telling them, you're seeking a sign, you want a miracle, you want something to show you that Jesus really is who he said he is, that he really does what he says he will do. 
So you're not going to get it. The only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then he came out and preached the word of God, so Jesus was in the grave, was dead for three days, and then he rose again. That's the sign. And he said, one day, the end of time, when everyone is raised from the dead, he says the Ninevites will look at people who deny Jesus, and they will say to them, you had so much more than we had, and yet we turned and repented. Because Jesus says that there is a greater salvation that he brings. That Jonah came to the Ninevites and he preached this message of salvation, of being saved from this coming disaster. And the Ninevites believed and repented. But through Jesus, we have such a greater message of salvation that we have this coming disaster, that just like the Ninevites needed to repent and turn from their wickedness or else face God's judgment, we today need to repent and turn from our wickedness or else face God's judgment. Because the judgment that we face is a judgment for our sin. And Jonah went and shared the message of God. The Ninevites believed it and they repented. So now Jesus is saying God still interacts with his people in the same way because he has sent to you the message of God. He sent to the Ninevites the message, if you don't turn from your wickedness, then in 40 days, this city will be destroyed. He sends to you the message that if you don't turn from your sin, then you are a child of wrath. You are under the wrath of God. But this message of hope and salvation has come not through Jonah, not through a broken, flawed, weak, imperfect, hateful messenger, but rather through Christ Jesus, the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God, the perfect messenger of God has come and proclaimed this salvation to you. That if you put your faith and your trust in him, then you can be saved from the calamity, from the disaster, from the judgment, from the punishment that you deserve because of your sin. Jonah is a story about how God loves people who hate him about how God loved the Ninevites when they didn't deserve it, and how God loves us and has shown us an even greater picture of salvation through Jesus Christ when we don't deserve it. We are sinners just like the Ninevites were. We have hearts that are against God, just like the Ninevites did, and we deserve judgment just like the Ninevites did. But we can do the same thing that the Ninevites did. We can believe and we can repent. We can believe the gospel, believe that God is who he says he is, that he is powerful, he is righteous, he is holy, and that he sent his son 
to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve, and to rise again so that we can have new life in him. We can believe God, and then we can repent. We can turn from our sin, we can turn from our wickedness. Here's the thing. Turning from our sin isn't quite as easy as it sounds, is it? Turning away from our wickedness is not as simple as it sounds. Repenting from sin is not just a matter of us saying, you know what? I'm gonna start trying harder. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna stop doing that thing. I'm gonna stop hanging out with those people. I'm gonna stop looking at that thing. I'm gonna stop saying those words. I'm gonna stop stealing that thing. I'm gonna, whatever it is. It's not just a matter of us saying, I'm gonna try harder and I'm going to do better because your problem, my problem, goes so much deeper than just the things that we do. Our problem with sin go so much deeper than we're not trying hard enough to be good. That's not what our problem is. Our problem is not a lack of effort at goodness. Our problem is our hearts are not in line with God's heart. Our problem is our hearts are against God's heart. And so trying harder isn't gonna solve it. You gonna help me out real quick? Yeah, come on up. All right, step right up here. This is God's heart. It's green because that's the color tape I had, all right? This is God's heart and this is ours. These hearts don't match. They don't go together. Here, I want you to hold this in one hand. It's pretty heavy. You got it in one hand? All right. I want you to hold this in the other. And what I want you to do is I want you to gotta go flat-faced, okay? I want you to make this green heart touch this white heart, okay? That's all you gotta do, just push them together. Gotta hold, get, a, get a hold on them. No, no, hearts have to touch each other, not the sides. Here, grab it on the side like this, right? Like this, there you go. You got that? All right, let me get the other side, like this. All right, push them together for me. Now, here's the thing. These hearts are not aligned with each other. These hearts are against each other. So no matter how much effort he puts in, no matter how much time he spends going to Sunday school, no matter how much time he spends reading his Bible, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. No matter how much time he spends memorizing verses, no matter how much time he spends feeding meals to the homeless, no matter how much time he spends getting great grades on all of his papers, no matter how much time he spends buying Hume apparel and wearing it around school so people think he's the cool Christian kid, no matter how much time he spends doing any of that, he is never, by his own effort, going to be able to take his heart and make it meet God's heart. He's never going to be able to change his heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He's never gonna be able to make his heart in line with the heart of his creator. So all of this work that he's doing, it's going to get him nowhere. Thanks. Go ahead, sit down. It's gonna get him nowhere because his heart is not in line with God's heart. 
He cannot come into contact with a holy, righteous God because his heart is the issue. I'm not picking on you. All of our hearts are the issue. (laughs) Our hearts are the issue. It's not just our actions. It's not just our actions, it goes deeper. It goes to the core of who we are. We are flawed, broken, sinful people, and we serve a holy, righteous, perfect God. And so no matter how hard we try to bridge this gap, we can't fix it. We can't earn our way into relationship with him. We might try to do better, but we haven't really repented. We haven't really turned from our wickedness because our wickedness is at the core of who we are. It's our hearts that are deceitful and desperately wicked. So the only way for us to repent, for us to turn from this death is for someone to come along and to change our hearts. It's for God to come along to take our hearts of of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that looks like his so that we can come back into relationship with him. We can't do this on our own. He has to do it for us. We can't turn from our wickedness on our own because our wickedness is who we are. But God can change us. God can change our hearts. God can drive us to repentance. And in order to truly repent, we need new hearts. We need to change from the inside out. That's something that only God can do. I want to read to you guys out of the book of Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel 36. I'm going to be in verse 26. It says this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Following God isn't about us just trying harder. Now the Bible's clear, we should avoid sin. We should do everything we can to fight against sin in our lives. But if you're trying to do that fight alone, you're gonna lose every single time because sin is inside you. Your heart needs to be changed. And God offers to do that, to give you a new heart, a heart that is in line with his. And when he does that, that's when you are empowered by the spirit of God to do the work of God to fight sin, not on your own power, but on the power of him who made the heavens and the earth because his spirit lives within you. So how do we get that? If I'm stuck in this state with this wicked heart that's against the heart of God, 
And, and I want to be made new. I want to be given a new heart. I want to turn to follow God, to turn from my wickedness and turn towards him. Then how can I do that? You're telling me that I can't just try harder, that I can't be good enough. Then, then how am I supposed to come into relationship with God? The answer is simple. You can't do it, God can. So what do you do? You ask. You ask. We ask God to change us. We ask God to give us a new heart because only he can. But if we call on him, he will. Only he can do it. And if we call on him, he will. Romans 10, 13. So everyone who calls on him will be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who realizes their sin, realizes that God has a perfect standard that they have not met, realizes that their heart is sinful, that their heart is against God's heart, and then who calls on God, calls on the mercy of God, says, God, I'm a sinner. God, my heart is against your heart, but I want you to make a new heart in me. I want you to make me a new person so that I can follow you. Everyone who believes the gospel, believes that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died the death that you and I deserve, taking the pain and the punishment of our sin on himself, and then he rose again, defeating death so that we can have life, and everyone who does those things and turns from their wickedness, turns towards God, they will be saved. They will be saved not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, but because the God of the universe has given them a new heart. It's given them a heart that is aligned with his. It's given them new life. He calls them his children. He's brought them into his family. And so they're saved from the punishment of their sin that they deserve. I've gone to this passage a few times this week. I want to read it one more time tonight to you. It's in Ephesians chapter two, and it paints this picture of who we are on our own, who we are by nature, versus who we are when God changes our heart. It says this. It's the way we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind or the heart. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a picture of who you were before you knew Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, you've never asked him to change your heart, that's a picture of who you are right now. You are a slave to your sin. Your heart is against God's heart, and you are powerless to fight against it. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, dead things can't make themselves alive again, but that's what we're like in our sin. We are dead and helpless and hopeless. We can't change our own hearts. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works. So no one may boast. That's a picture of who we were and who God makes us into. On our own, we are dead in our sin. Our hearts are stone. They are against the heart of God, and there's nothing we can do to make it better. No amount of going to church, no amount of going to youth group, no amount of reading your Bible, no amount of doing good deeds, no amount of getting good grades, nothing you can do is going to change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Nothing you can do is going to save you from the judgment that is coming. Just like nothing the Ninevites could do would save them, they needed someone else. But God comes along and in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness and his love, he takes our heart of stone, he gives us a heart of flesh, he takes our wicked, sinful heart that is against his, and he gives us a new heart. He makes us a new creature, a new creation. He puts his spirit in us. He calls us a part of his family. He takes us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Jesus, and we will be alive in Jesus forever as we spend eternity in heaven with our creator. That's what God does. It's not what we do. That's what he does in us. When we realize our sin and when we plead with him, God, take my heart and give me yours. God, take my sin and put it on Jesus because I can't carry it alone. Because I deserve punishment and I know that Jesus has already paid the price for me. That's what God does. Brings us from death to life. He brings us into his family. He gives us a new heart. If we repent, turn from our wickedness, and we believe that he is who he says he is, and he does what he says he does. I know there's some of you here who have never done that. You've never put your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ. Maybe it's because this weekend's the first time you've realized that you have a problem. 
Maybe it's the first time you've realized that you have a problem with sin. Or maybe it's the first time you've realized just how deep that problem goes. That it's not just that your actions are against God, but that your very heart is. You've never put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus to save you from the punishment for sin that you, that you deserve. You've never said, God, please take this heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. God, please take the punishment for my sin and give me the life that Jesus earned by his life, death, and resurrection. Maybe you're here and you've never done that before, and if that's the case, I'm here to tell you, you're still a child of wrath. But the message of God that went to the Ninevites is the message of God that he sends through his book, the Bible, to you tonight, and it's this. Believe, repent, turn from your wickedness, Throw yourself on the mercy of God. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. If you do that, if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, you will be saved. That punishment that you deserve will not come on you because it's already come on Jesus. Maybe there's some of you here who have put your faith in Jesus. You've put your trust in Jesus, at least you thought you had, but as I'm up here talking, you're going, I, I don't know, I don't feel like my heart is changed. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like I have God's heart. I feel like I, I'm still against him at the core of who I am. I would encourage you tonight, call out to God. Ask him to change your heart. Really, truly repent tonight. And I don't mean just say, oh, you know what, I'm gonna stop doing those bad things. I mean, go to God and say, God, I want you to make me a new creation. I want you to give me a new heart. I want you to give me your life. And I'm gonna give you mine. If that's where you're at, whether you've never made a decision to follow Christ, whether you've never put your faith and your trust in him before, or whether you just feel God's spirit moving in some way and, and you feel like you need to do that today, maybe you've done it in the past but you just don't, you're not confident that you have this new heart and this new life that I'm talking about. If that's you and tonight, you want to call out to God. You want to ask him to give you a new heart and give you a new life, to bring you into his family, to save you from the punishment of sin that you know you deserve. If you wanna do that tonight, then in just a second, I'm gonna ask you just to, just to stand up. This isn't a, a, a thing to show off or to perform or anything like that. It's a way that, that your counselors can see you, that they can know to, to talk to you, to follow up, to ask you what's going on and to walk through this with you. 
I'm not gonna ask everyone to close their eyes or, or anything like that because I think this is not something to be ashamed of. This is a simple profession that every one of us can make that we are broken and we can't fix ourselves. We need God to do it for us. So if that's where you are, if that's something that you wanna do either for the first time tonight, or maybe you've done something like it before but you're just not confident that God has really given you that new life, that you're not confident that you were really putting your faith and trust in Christ and you want to do that tonight, then, then go ahead right now and just stand where you're at. We don't, we don't need to clap. <laughs> I appreciate the encouragement. It's good, awesome. Now, I know that there's some of you who maybe are, are hearing this and you just don't wanna stand. That's fine. I understand, I, I know it can be embarrassing, it can be nerve-wracking. I told you guys I was a church kid and I came to camp every year and every year there was some kind of call to stand and I was sitting there going, well if I stand then people know that I'm broken. Guys, people know you're broken. But I don't need you to stand. What, what I would ask though, is that in just a second here I'm gonna pray for us, the band's gonna come up, they're gonna lead us in one more song and Harry will come and he'll dismiss you guys. When he does, he's gonna just let you know that this space will be open. This chapel is going to be open for some time and if you have questions about the things that I've talked about tonight, if you have questions about what it means to have your heart changed by God, if you have questions about what it means to repent and believe, if you have questions about what it means that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't, that he died the death that you and I deserve and that he rose again so that we can have new life, if you have questions about those things, then I'd encourage you, just stay here. As everyone goes back to the cabin, I want you to stay. I want you to talk to your counselor. I want you to ask your questions. If you wanna pray with your counselor, to call out to God to change your heart tonight then I want you to stay. Whether or not you stood, I want you to stay. All right, let's pray. The band will come up and we'll do one more song. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are merciful and gracious. We thank you that you, you give this, this opportunity to the Ninevites to repent, to, put, to believe you to turn from their wickedness, to turn towards you, and to be saved from the coming judgment that they deserved. And God, so much more than that, we thank you that you give us the same opportunity. You give us the opportunity to believe you, to put our faith and our trust in you, to turn from our sin, to be given new hearts, to be made a new creation, to be brought into your family, to be given life instead of the death that we deserve. God, I pray for these students, for those who have questions. God, I pray that they would not let embarrassment keep them from asking those questions, but instead 
that they would call out to you, that they would go to their counselors, the, the men and women that you've put here in their lives this weekend, that they would ask their questions, that they would open your word together and see what you have to say. And God, I pray that they would throw themselves on your mercy, that they would seek your grace. Because God, we know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because of the good things that they do, but because of the good things that you did through Jesus. God, I pray that they would know that, that they would trust that, that they would believe you, and that they would repent, that they might be saved they might be a part of your family, that they might be called no longer children of wrath, but children of mercy, children of the king of the universe, children of the one and only sovereign God. God, we pray that you would do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.